a lot of doctors uh, and practice managers feel like are anecdotal. And so they sometimes don't make the investment that they need in their technology infrastructure that would give them the actual insight into what's actually happening from the time the patient makes their first phone call to the time that the patient is hopefully leaving with a baby. Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Now here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. If you are interested in how technology is going to eat our field, then you want to listen to my guest for today's episode. It's Bob Huff. Bob is the chief technology officer of Imagine Fertility, software that helps with documentation, with eliminating double typing into EMRs, with electronic signatures, with payment processing. Bob was the CTO of RMA of Texas for a number of years. Bob, I'm really happy to have you on Inside Reproductive Health. Thanks, Griffin. I appreciate it. One of the coolest talks that I've seen in our field was one that you gave at MRS a number of years ago, a preview of so many of the technologies that are coming both on the consumer side and in diagnostics, in treatment. And let's start off a little bit general because one of the core takeaways that I got off from there was really seeing a compounding impact when a lot of these technologies are able to talk to each other. That's something that I want to go into further. So what does that mean, technologies being able to talk to each other? What does that look like as it unfolds over the next five, 10 years? Well, what it looks like today is inside a fertility center, you have so many tools that your office is using that aren't integrated together. So you may have somatics doing your patient intake. You may have your EMR. You may have another system for doing your payment processing, so on and so forth. So now you have somebody who's sitting there who needs four or five different logins just to do their job on a daily basis. Fortunately, with Imagine, I've had the pleasure of working with a few other third-party vendors. And being that technology is very advanced today as far as what you can do over the internet, we've been able to do some single sign-on work with some electronic medical record systems and some of the other third-party vendors. That way, a person only has to sign into one application and they're signed into everything. That's what an integration really means. And also, the third-party applications are really good at what they do. So applications like mine, like an embryo option, is really good at what they do. And we should let them be good at what they do. Whereas an electronic medical record system really is a walled garden of different options. They try to keep you in to a certain fence post that they have posted for you. And you're not allowed to move outside that that wall at all. So we should really embrace those third-party companies who have really focused on one specific issue and have solved that issue and let them help versus trying to lock them out and trying to charge exorbitant fees that I've seen from some developers so that our offices can service patients in a timely manner. Patients 
are calling our clinics constantly. They need this information. Instead, we have to go to three or four different systems to get all of this information. And then we're afraid to fax it or email it because of HIPAA issues when the patient just wants to know. That wall is slowing things down so much. I always say that Fertility Bridge won't offer a software solution until we have the ability to great with more of these systems because I can't just ask people to have one more damn system. And you talked about billing, you talked about EMR scheduling, which are sometimes three different platforms. Then on top of that, you add a, a customer relationship management software, a CRM to that. And that's separate from other types of patient sourcing. And as a result, impedes so much of what centers decide to do because it's logistically one more thing that their staff would just be overwhelmed with operationally. Correct. The software out there, a lot of people want to look at the price tags that you see on some of the software out there without doing the math of what they're saving in manpower and time. For instance, Engaged MD, we brought them into our clinic pretty early because we did the math on what the nurse's salary was on what we were saving for them not having to do this class with a patient to teach medications. And with our nurses, they're bored out of their mind doing that class over and over and over again, four or five times a week. And it takes an hour, hour and 15 minutes, sometimes an hour and 30 minutes, depending on the patient. This way they were able to knock that down to 30 minutes and the savings on the payroll over the course of the week were astounding when we did the math. Of course, we're still, that nurse is still doing something else, but still that time is filled with doing things that are more important, I would argue, like returning phone calls for patients after clinic. I still see a lot of file cabinets in offices that go beyond just records. I still see a lot of paper trail when I go visit our clinics. I see a lot of clinics writing paper checks still. There's software for just about all of this. Why aren't people adopting it? Well, some of it's a lot of old school trains of thought that they don't need to pay for a medical record system, that they're perfectly fine with their paper charts, that they're perfectly fine copying, faxing, and scanning these things. But when you come down to how much time is saved with an electronic medical record system or with a billing system, it's really worth the price you pay to play in that arena on the, the amount of time you spend because your scale becomes huge on what you can achieve with just one person versus a bunch of people pushing paper around an office and the cost to store all of that paper at a company like SafeSite or Iron Mountain just to sit in a in somebody's storage unit for seven years is ridiculous. So the paper has just got to go, especially with all of the liability there is with with paper now on HIPAA as well. The liability on electronic medical record systems and email even has come significantly down on on the HIPAA issues. How much of that is because certain platforms, EMRs, billing system, scheduling system, won't remove their walled gardens? And how much of it is because maybe one, any one of those companies should be a lot better at doing the other things. For example, an EMR that has a billing system that people 
want to use if they're also using their EMR that also integrates fluidly with scheduling. Because right now, a lot of people have to create a profile in Cellmatics or another billing system before they schedule a patient in the patient portal. So how much of it is it because some of these players don't remove their walled gardens and how much of it is because they should be including better services for the others, whether it's scheduling, billing, EMR in what they offer? The issue with a program like an electronic medical record system is that when you build an electronic medical record system, all the focus is on getting the medical science right. That's the most important thing that an electronic medical record system should do. In our field, it's doubly more complicated because they have to do lab workflows and cryo inventories. So that work in a fertility EMR is just grossly huge on that point. And then, like I said, the EMR should be 100% accurate on the health science. That's its job. That's what it should do. But in order to capture revenue as an electronic medical record system company is you have to start offering products for billing, for scheduling and whatnot. And so they try to capture all that revenue by being the walled garden. And the days of that have really come and gone. I would say that was that those days died probably around 2015 when we started seeing the rise of big data after the uh, the financial collapse of 2008 with these massive databases that are now available and different ways of transmitting information. The internet, there's so many secure ways to transfer information over the internet via an API call. There's just no excuse for having to try and and shoehorn your customer into one little corner when there's so many different ways that things can work together. I think that that's totally backfiring if people aren't opening up their API to be able to allow products to integrate because at a consumer level. So I only use our receipt system because it integrates with QuickBooks. I only use our time tracking system because it integrates with our project management system. Just like clinics, I don't want my people entering one set of data here and another set of data over here. I think that in a 2019, 2020 world that you're putting yourself in a very vulnerable position if you're not willing to lower that garden because the workload is just so cumbersome for the client. Yeah, I agree. We use a lot of applications based on choices of what are core choices. So things like QuickBooks, what integrates to QuickBooks. We only want to use things that integrate with that system. So we have a lot of that choice to make as well, but there's no reason why anybody should have to be shoehorned into just a few small applications that are very specialized because it integrates with one certain vendor. Data is very standardized, especially in our field with the HL7 uh, health level seven information format that can be applied universally to everything we do. We can trans, there's a standing format. As long as you accept that format, you can read any type of record from patient demographics to lab tests to, to actually with Cooper genomics with reading PGT reports. So 
there's already lots of these data standards out there. And the fact that a lot of these companies are not complying with those data standards is a little alarming because it would allow the flow of this information to just be free. From a marketing standpoint, I can tell it's definitely including us from getting the best data that there's no EMR, to my knowledge, that integrates with a CRM. We have clients that have a CRM. They've got an EMR. They don't integrate with each other. So it would be really nice to be able to see from the beginning a lead becoming a patient, becoming a how they go through the, the course of treatment and also have that integrate with billing so we can see financially how that turned out. Right now, it's, you know, attributing from Google Analytics, okay, we've got these leads, doing self-reporting from patients that come in to make another calculation, triangulating those different data points, and not having a revenue tied to, you know, particular figures, but rather comparing totals. Yes, I think specifically on the Google Analytics and talking about marketing spends, it's very hard for a fertility center to tell exactly where their traffic is coming from. Most of them are going to attribute it to their referral traffic from their OBGYN relationships. But when it's, for instance, in your business talking about pay-per-click ads, YouTube advertising, et cetera. It's really hard to capture those patients that come from those sources and how do they turn into a vaginal oocyte retrieval. That's really the statistic that a clinic is looking for is what happens from a from when the patient gets to my door to the patient getting to the follow-up appointment and from a follow-up appointment to a VOR or a frozen embryo transfer. Those are the three points that a clinic really needs to see. And sorting through everything that gets to their door is very, very hard and, and where it comes from. And then having that data to make a choice on where you actually do spend your marketing dollars. It, it's very hard for a clinic sometimes to commit to marketing when I know that it works. For instance, we were doing TV commercials here in San Antonio and McAllen and our traffic increased fivefold to our website just from the TV commercials running during a Spurs game. While it was expensive, yes, and it was really hard to talk somebody into into doing that, it was absolutely 100% worth it. And I think marketing dollars should be monitored but are usually well spent. To the point about referrals, what's interesting, if you take one single point of attribution, which is how most clinics track incoming patients now. They ask for one referral source. Very often it's from a drop-down menu or it's just a fill-in-the-blank. Very often it's not even in the MR. It's not in the scheduling system. It sometimes is just in the patient's chart. But if we're just looking at one source, what we still see from most clinics is that the most, the highest volume new patients source is MD referral and much lower will be internet and then word of mouth. If we're just looking at one patient source, but when we open it up to multiple patient sources, that is to say, when we open it up to multiple attribution sources, we see that people are coming from several as opposed to one. And when we do that, 
every time, not some of the time, not 75% of the time, every time more patients are searching online than are being referred by an MD. So that's really interesting to me. So when we're looking at exclusive attribution, MD referrals is highest. When we're looking at multiple attribution, internet is highest. What, what is the reason for that discrepancy? Patients are getting multiple referrals from their MD and or they're verifying, validating that against what they're researching on their own online. Well, my experience has been that a patient goes through about four or five different web pages. They'll go through the entire first page of Google uh, researching a clinic before they will make a commitment. The other portion of this is that patients that come in by pay-per-click ads are usually lower quality uh, patients that will turn into a conversion, meaning we'll see them for a new patient appointment. They probably don't have benefits for fertility. And once it gets to the the point where we have to have that conversation with the patient that the cycle is going to cost you $14,000, they self-disqualify at that point and don't come back for treatment. So pay-per-click for us at least had been a very poor source of conversion. Now, sometimes you have to do that just because the guy down the street is doing that, right? So mutual competition in a market is going to force you to have to to make some choices on your, on your marketing, uh, on your marketing spends. But from what we see is that my top three pages that on my website is going to be my doctors, my success rates, and what does it cost? Yep. Those are the top three items. And usually there it, the, the patient makes a choice based on those three items. There's really only three things a fertility clinic can compete on. And one is the success rates. The success rates, the science is very tight these days. And you don't see very much variance between clinic and clinic. So you can't... Plus, with SART guidelines, you can't really compete on success rates, right? People do all the time. That's why I don't think it's as much of a differentiating factor as people want it to be, because every single place, it seems, is crafting the story that best serves them. And everybody has the best success rates if you look at their website. Right. And But you can't compete against each other on success rate, according to SART. So everybody puffs up their own success rates. And with the changes to to the SART reporting, they try to use the stats that best reflect the best numbers. So I don't think the the consumer is getting, the the consumer or the patient is getting the best data there directly from the website. Next thing we can compete on is price. But competing on price is a rush to the bottom and... I have very much seen that patients get what they pay for in the fertilities in the fertility space. So reduced price usually ties to reduced success rate, which means you need to be a better prognosis candidate for a fertility procedure. So we can't really compete on price at all. And everybody, everybody I've, I know is scared to disclose what their pricing is because they don't want the guy down the street knowing what they're charging, although they know. Yeah, <laughs> And the third thing we can compete on is patient experience. And that's what we were successful at in RMA of Texas. And I think that's what they continue to be successful at is really caring about the patient. And so that patient experience actually translates to their website. And being web guys, you and I, we know that the most popular trend you're seeing right now are whites and blues on everybody's website. 
They, everybody's redesigned their websites to look very clean. All their logos have been redesigned to be white or blue, which blue signifies trust and the white is associated with clinical, but it's not warm. Clinical is not warm, but it does give you professional. So the look of being professional, but the feel is just not there sometimes on some of these websites that I see from practice to practice. We just went down three rabbit holes. It could be episodes in and of themselves. Attribution, yes. which, or we talk, cancellation rate with a- attribution or online acquisition, which I think merits an entire discussion about a different nurturing funnel. We yes. talked about pricing strategy, which can work, but it, you got to go all in, in my opinion. That's a whole nother topic we got here because we're talking about the data necessary to make these decisions. And the better data that we have, the more more quickly we can make these decisions and more effectively because I feel like in my career, I had to spend a lot of time going back to solve some of these attribution issues, return on investment schemes because just to prove what I knew was effective marketing from the beginning. Do you know what I mean? Like we just finished a really successful video campaign for one client a few months ago and it's doing really well. It's bringing new patients in and patients are talking about it. It's super emotional. I couldn't get to that point where we could say to a client, hey, let's invest this until I had the mode to be able to prove this is how many more phone calls this is these videos are generating. This is how many more contact forms these videos are generating. This is how many more people are coming in because they said they saw the video and we can play around with landing pages of ads that have them and don't. And it's like we had to do all of that just to prove what is really good marketing to begin with. Right. And a lot of this knowledge, a lot of doctors and practice managers feel like are anecdotal. And so they sometimes don't make the investment that they need in their technology infrastructure that would give them the actual insight into what's actually happening from the time the patient makes their first phone call to to the time that the patient is hopefully leaving with a baby. So things like phone systems are, are really important to, to invest in. It was one of the first things I changed when I came into RMA of Texas because I saw how underserved we were with our phones. And one of the important things that we did with the phone system was we made sure that we could assign different phone numbers to different marketing campaigns so that we could attribute everything that was coming in to what marketing dollars we were spending. Plus, we also wanted to measure how much we were picking up the phone. Do you use CallRail? No, we were using an Avaya system with a with actually a really nice live dashboarding suite called Zima Chronicle out of Utah. Price wasn't wasn't bad and it did everything we wanted it to do. It did call recordings so we could record all of our patient interactions. It did a live dashboarding so we could see exactly how many phone calls were coming in, when they were coming in, where they were going to, how much time we spent making phone calls back. That's how we discovered that a lot of patients just want to talk to somebody. They will call in repeatedly two to three times just to get a hold of a live person 
versus leaving a message and waiting for a message callback. So implementing a an almost call center structure was very important after we saw that statistic because the patient just wants to talk to somebody live. They don't want to talk to an IVR. In fact, I'm preparing a talk about phones, just on phones, that kind of points out how long we've been struggling with the interactive voice response, press one for this, press two for that, as businesses since the 80s. So it was really important to us to see and be able to attribute those different acquisition numbers to different sources. For people listening, that software isn't that expensive either. If you have a lot of call volume, it might be $200 a month if you're using something like CallRail, which will give you the data that you just described. And no practice should be running any kind of digital marketing campaign without it. You need to see how many phone calls are coming from any given platform or campaign, even though it's not the only source of attribution that you're looking for. What are other softwares that every clinic should have to make their lives so much easier that very often you see many not having? A CRM is very important these days. I see a lot of clinics who are not using any type of CRM or PRM is what I would like to see out there, a patient relationship manager. So there's definitely space for that out there in the market as well. But we need to be able to see how well we're actually communicating and serving our patients, which as an industry, I don't really think it's that great across our clinical teams. Why? Because our nurses are overloaded. The nurses do everything. We like to think that they have extra free time and they could handle this or that, but they really, really can't. If you sit and listen to the voicemails and you go through all the phone calls that, that come into your practice throughout the day, the nurses are really already overloaded. And so we need to be able to monitor how that interaction is going with a patient. And I think the future of that is going to be relationship management hooked to the EMR. So something like a Salesforce that has a great API is something that you can use to monitor that. Of course, you might need some custom development, but APIs are not that hard. You can hook a good developer can hook up to an API in, in 15, 20 minutes. So you're not talking about spending vast sums of money on, on development. But if somebody tries to quote you a crazy number on something like that, <laughs> they're just quoting you a crazy number. But I, I think uh, relationship management is something uh, a clinic really has to be focused on these days. Bob Huff, thanks so much for coming on Inside Reproductive Health. Thank you, Griffin, anytime. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. If you have a strong opinion about today's episode, we want to hear it. Agree, disagree, or have another point to add, please email podcast at fertilitybridge.com and tell us if you recommend a guest or a topic for a future episode. If you're ready to skyrocket your fertility practices growth and double your IVF cycles, schedule your fertility marketing discovery call by clicking the link in the show notes. And if you just want to learn more tactics to market your fertility center, download our free ebook, The Ultimate Guide to Fertility Marketing on fertilitybridge.com, also available in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast, and we look forward to talking more fertility shop on future episodes.